Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for liftoff. Hello world, all 156 countries right now. Tuning in, this is Liftoff by Bottle Rocket. My name is Tony Dozat. And I am Peter Clayman. Welcome back to the show. We're so happy that you're here. It fills me with joy. And today is going to be sweet beans because I want to tell you about something. It's a little thing called App Figures. It is the analytics optimization and intelligence choice for top developers, publishers, marketers, and analysts. And today, the founder, the CEO of App Figures, Mr. Ariel McKaylee. Ariel, what's up, dog? Hey. It's really cool to have you. Thanks. It's really cool to be here. I know when when I first was digging into App Figures, I was bouncing around the site and trying to learn as much as I could. But I think, what if we said, hey, Ariel, give us the rundown. What is App Figures and why did you start it? Let's let's fill the listeners in a little elevator pitch of how you got here and what what the heck it is. Sounds good. I'll give you the really short version and okay. then the slightly longer version and then the slightly, slightly longer version. Okay. How about that? Yeah, Perfect. we like it that way. Perfect. <laughs> so the really short version is it's 2009. Uh, I think two developers sitting in a room. They have a game on the App Store, on Apple's App Store. And you're trying to think now, can I turn this into a business? And the answer is maybe. You don't know anything about what's going on. The reporting back then was horrendous. So you weren't even getting a chart out of Apple. You were getting some report called a TSV file, which is uh, tab-separated values. So you can't even open it and read it like a human. You have to plump it into Excel or something like that, and it was just a pain. If you're making any money, it comes in different exchange rates. And like, what the hell is going on? I don't, I don't really know how to use this. So most people that I know back then were like, we're, we're not going to read this. We have a game on the store. We're just going to go with it. Yes. I didn't really want to do that because I prefer to actually know what I'm doing. So I created this little script that actually took that Excel file, made it into charts. All my friends were like, oh, wow, we want this too. So uh, we turned into a small platform. It was kind of a weekend project. And we had other projects where we're saying we're going to get to them and it's going to be great. And we're going to invent these new things on iOS. And we didn't really get to any of them. And that was 11 years ago <laughs> because that figures kind of evolved. And once we started with the reporting we realize that there are all these unanswered questions. We're getting into the slightly longer version now. So there are all these unanswered questions. And so how much money am I making? Did I make more money today than I did yesterday? These sort of really, really, really basic questions were so difficult to answer back then. So we automated answering them. And over the last 11 years, a whole array of other questions kind of evolved that are pretty much required at this point in order to succeed, whether it's on the App Store and Google Play, on the Amazon App Store, Windows, all the many app stores that exist. And so now our main philosophy is we want to find all the questions that people who are in the space have, and then we want to provide them with not just the data, but also a way to look at the data in a way where you don't have to be a data analyst and you don't have to be really into Excel to understand how to actually use it. And so we simplify as much as we can we group as much as we can, and we have our own layer of intelligence, so everything kind of makes sense. And we do that across your own apps. We help you optimize it, and I can get into what optimizing means later. And we give you information about the market and the competition. So if you're trying to make decisions, you have something to base them off. And instead of just saying, hmm, this feels right, let's go with it. Let's invest $1,000 into advertising, $100,000 into advertising, a $1 million dollars into an ad campaign. 
because it makes sense. Like that. So let me ask you, I think that for many people, this concept of analytics has, it's a many different headed Hydra, right? You have BAs oh, that are coming at it and they're like, yeah, well, I'm just going to do like a cash flow analysis and do some basic stuff. And then you have other people who are like, I don't really understand what an app is. Tell me about the numbers that you can give me. That's the spectrum that we see every day. How would you describe to someone what application analytics is and what some of those questions are that you're able to answer via app figures? So I think it's really all of the above when you think about it. So we work with, at this point, pretty much everyone from product managers who are trying to figure out what should I improve in my app to, uh, to analysts who are looking at entire segments of the market and saying, where should I invest my money into my next app or into my client's next app? And then we have the developers who are sitting there and thinking, how am I going to get more downloads? Like, what's next? And now the app economy has evolved in a way where you have all these groups and they're all kind of coexisting. So you have the indie developers sitting at home, actually making a living developing their one app or two apps. You have the freelancers who are building apps for other people who need this information because they need to answer those those questions. So the way we look at it is we look at it as a way of connecting the dots. You have all these different dots, right? You have downloads, you have revenue, you have downloads by different countries, you have revenue by different countries, you have how people interact with the app, um, you have what people say about the app, you have store performance, I can go on. But really the value is how those different data points, different dots are connected for whatever it is that you're trying to answer. So if you're an analyst coming at it from I see this app has been getting more and more popularity. It's been in the news a lot. Should I invest maybe in the company? You can look at the trend of downloads over time. You can look at the trend of revenue. And if those look like they make sense, you're going to go for it. If you're a product manager for the app and you are thinking, what can I do to actually get this app to be more engaging for users? You can read all the reviews and then you can do that for all the competitors too and kind of steal all their ideas and take them and implement them and get there faster. And if you're running your own app as a developer and you're seeing, and this is something that we saw a lot when COVID started, is you see your downloads plummet or go up incredibly and you have no idea why. It's like, is it just my app? Is it everyone? You can use market data to say, okay, okay, everyone has gone up by 20%. That must mean that my increase of 18% is kind of in line. It's not always like that. Sometimes everyone would go up and you would go down and then now the alarms need to go need to go off and be like, what am I doing now? Should I invest in optimization? Should I put some money into ads? And it spans across really any kind of app, not just freelancers, not just indies, uh, not just small teams, all the way up to the big guys. And we work hmm. with pretty much all of them. What do you think right now, looking at a analytics dashboard, whatever it is, what do you think Quibi is thinking to themselves right now? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> is what they're thinking. I've actually published a whole bunch of data on Quibi over the last few months since it happened, since I saw the first ad on YouTube for it. What is um, Quibi? It is a fascinating I know it went bankrupt, story. but I didn't even know what it was before I got the push notification that the capital <laughs> raise just utterly blew up and failed, and they shut down operations. Ariel, you want to take that? Can you describe what Quib- Quibi is, or do you want me to Is this another it? one of them TikToks? No. So Ish? Oh. Yeah. 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 It's short form video. Ariel, take it. <laughs> so Quibi from uh, everything that I know is short form video, but in a sense that it's like a short form, uh, highly produced content. So think Netflix with their originals, but yeah. in eight minute segments. 
So the idea behind this was not only is this well-produced content that's really short. So if you're waiting for the subway, you're waiting for a bus, you're waiting for something, you just want to waste, you know, five to ten minutes, you can check out one of their episodes. Because if you were going to go to Netflix or Hulu or any of the other ones, it's going to take a while. You're going to have to sit down for that. You don't have to do that with Quibi. I think that that was the idea. But so only YouTube. and only on originally only on mobile device. Only what idiots. On mobile device. Why did they think that would be better than YouTube? Uh, no, great question. Idea at all. I mean, there's no unlimited choice. There's unlimited choice on the YouTube. Exactly. Literally everything you could ever want. You don't even know you're into that content. It's going to get served to you. And instead, yep. you're going to make me watch Cooley Janner. <laughs> It was a, it, yeah. I mean, I labeled it as one of, one of the reports that I published as a as a solution without a problem. There exactly. was no need for this sort of thing, in my opinion. And uh, I, I think I sound harsh when I talk about it because I think that when you have an idea and you turn it into a product and no one wants it, that's kind of an utter failure. They raised what one point seven yeah. billion dollars for this. Yeah. Plus, they give all us tech company folks a bad name. That's like the dot com hype stuff, you know. See, I yeah, think it more gives. I think it. I think it gives a lot of different groups a bad name right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everyone who funded it, the the guys who ran it. I feel bad for all the people who actually put the app together because the app actually worked, and right, they had yeah. this cool concept called uh, Turnstile, I believe, yep. where you, if you have the phone in landscape mode, you get one version of the video, and then if you turn it you have a totally different version and it's different point of views from what I saw, which is supposed to be cool, but they launched without it. Right. And then kind of last minute had one show that had it, got a ton of downloads immediately when that launched and then said that they're trying to sell the company. So I think it came in just a little bit too late and really missed the mark. But again, a problem uh, or a solution for not a real problem. And they launched it into a lockdown. No one is waiting for the subway. No one's waiting for the bus. No one's trying to commute. Yeah. Yeah, we have unlimited time. We don't exactly. only have eight minutes. We have 88-minute blocks. Yeah, easily. And, I mean, look at all the stuff that people binged. People binge pretty much every episode everything. of everything on Netflix, probably twice. Yeah, so you yeah, cornered so. yourself here, Ariel. What have you been binging? I have been doing a lot of writing, more so than binging. I don't watch too much TV these days because I know that if I start, it's not going to end. I've been trying <laughs> to pick a movie every other night and then try to watch it. Because a movie has a definitive starting point, yeah, okay, point, yeah, and that's it. But it doesn't even happen anymore. I just the problem with work from home is I just I start my day as soon as I wake up, and then I end my day as soon as I fall asleep. Because there's nothing else to do in between. <laughs> well, and you're are you in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens? Where are I'm you? in in Manhattan, yeah, yeah. So yeah. going out right now is like, oh God, I'd rather, maybe I'll just stay in. The concept yeah. of shared spaces to enter the outside is what gets me. I used to have a yeah. shared space to enter the outside and it made it much more challenging to go outside. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, you mean okay, like yeah. an apartment complex? Like any type of hallway like where you have like internal oh. air or an elevator okay. Okay. or any of those I, things. I'm, I'm I mean, you know, Ariel owns a whole redstone, you know, so it's not right. so much of a problem. <laughs> well, he I has thought it was a 16-story house that has its own independent front door on the 4th Avenue. I thought it was a brownstone. It's a redstone. Okay. Specifically on the 4th Avenue. Yeah, it's a redstone. <laughs> uh, I'm putting all my New York words together and seeing if I can make it work. It sort of worked. <laughs> it's like red people are gonna arrive. On, they're just gonna look for Fourth Avenue. And be like, where's Fourth Avenue? Where's Fourth? And what is a redstone? Where? where do we find this guy? 
It, I, I just made you so elusive. Well, hey, let's let's get back to it because I have a question. <laughs> Go for it. How, how? So you don't, you know, you're not owned by Spotify. You're not owned by all of these app companies. How do you project their on-platform performance if you don't necessarily have access to their downloads data and other things that are, you know, proprietary to that firm? That is a great question. The answer is not magic. The answer is machine learning. So what we do is, one, we definitely don't have that proprietary data for all of the apps. But even if we do, we don't use it. So even if Spotify um, was to actually use our analytics platform to track their own apps, we would never use their private data. Instead, what we do is we build machine learning models and statistical models that look at performance outside of the app store and then use our own data of opted in apps that share with us their anonymized data. And we turn that into models that are pretty good. Let me play the audience real quick, right? So how do you check the accuracy then? How do you know the algorithms you're using are getting you to a place that's accurate? So also a good question. Because we have that pool of anonymized data, we have actual data to compare it to. Ah, So it's not data for all the apps. And we can't say definitively, if we said that Spotify had X number of downloads today, we know that 100%. But we know that overall, our models get within 15%, uh, let's say. And so we know that we're very close. Since 2008, Bottle Rocket has been helping companies acquire more, engage deeper, and grow faster than their competitors. Industry leaders like Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A, MoneyGram, and Frito-Lay trust Bottle Rocket to provide business strategy, product management, experience design, product growth, and technology services that drive business results and solve unmet customer needs. To learn more about Bottle Rocket and subscribe to the newsletter, visit BottleRocketStudios.com. I have a very broad, ephemeral question, and it's probably opinion-based, although you might have some data to back it up. I don't know how close you, you watch this personally, but if you were to look at the digital landscape right now <laughs> in the Google Play Store and the App Store, whatever it is, what trends do you see happening or what predictions do you have moving forward of what's going to be the next big like category? Obviously, TikTok exploded. We're seeing a lot of momentum right now with Parler, although I think that's probably going to die down. What are your thoughts? Oh, that, that's a really tough one to predict. I mean, the whole Parler thing just kind of happened, came out of nowhere. Yeah. If you think about it, last week, the App Store was a total mess. Parler rose all the way up, um, and then Walmart dethroned it for like a hot minute. Oh, interesting! Of Black Friday. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a, it's kind of absurd what's happening right now. You have, I think, it really depends. I mean, I have too many opinions. So we, if we go sequentially, it'll take days. But, <laughs> but Parler, let's let's hang let's hang on Parler for a second. Can you tell me? Could, stop talking about all these kids apps that have content behind them. I don't know no, what they are. No, Parler does it do a thing? Parler does not it a do a app. thing? You're going to be interested in Parler, Peter. You're going to think it it's very intriguing. So, Ariel, you want to hit it? I'll give it a try. Okay. Parler is like a Twitter, but for very uh, specific niche of audience that shares. Oh, like specific- Reddit. No, so here, um, okay, he's being <laughs> he's being generous. I'll be semi generous. Okay, so Parler was created as a answer to Twitter because of Twitter's oh, what do you want to call it? 
what are we talking not, about? So Parler doesn't, so Parler doesn't police exactly. any language or content or moderate anything. Oh, you mean like, so when the president's tweeting about election results and all of his Twitter feed has said, this yeah. may contain false information. The, all Parler the right, doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Parler just doesn't right. regulate free speech at all. Why do we continue to need more social media firms? Haven't we learned enough to know that we don't need any more social media firms? We have, I think, and all the listeners probably know that by now, too. But there are probably people who don't listen to this podcast and they're not, uh, you know, on the up and up on this. But so the idea behind Parler is that they don't police off of the content that you produce. They still do some policing, meaning they will kick you out if you do things that go against their terms, which actually makes sense. I think in theory, having a competitor to Twitter is actually a good thing because if you don't want to be on it for whatever reason, your friends are not on it or the right topics are not on it, go somewhere else. They'll push Twitter to be a little bit more aggressive in how they do what they do, maybe push the app to be better. I don't know if you've used Parler. From my experience, the UX on it is, I would call it 2008, and that's me being generous. The design, the look is 2004 maybe, and that's me being generous before the days of real apps. So I think the fact that it's like that means that it's probably not going to go under that sort of attention that Twitter has. So I don't think it's going to dethrone Twitter anytime soon. But it's 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 an interesting uh, kind of interesting way to look at it is it's siloed. And if you were on Twitter back in the old days, that's kind of what Twitter was. It wasn't about mm-hmm. politics back then. It was for tech nerds and for people who just kind of had a friend who had Twitter and wanted to talk to that friend. Eventually, it matured into people wanting to take pictures of their food um, and look at us today. Is Portland going to get there? I don't really know. Have you used it? Yeah, what's interesting, I haven't used it, but everything you just said I think is dead on. The difference is, is I think the level of expectations have changed. You know, back in 2008, 2009, whatever it is, when this stuff started actually coming out, there was no expectation yet, really. Where now, there is a sense of, is this experience familiar enough, feel good, fast, do I know what to do? Where, when a parlor, if it's clunky, if the UX feels old, I don't know, maybe maybe some of their um, audience actually connects with that sort of uh, UI and UX a lot better. It's hard to say. I, I've only seen screenshots, so I'm not going to give a full critique, but... It's Can we just hold on for a second? Yeah. Can we just hold on? Okay. <laughs> this is, I just read their little blurb while y'all were talking. Yeah. Unbiased. Uh, listening to someone who tweets about something who has no primary context and whose facts are not checked is not unbiased. It's actually the definition of bias. It's- I struggle to understand what problem this is solving besides allowing more people to have an echo chamber to not get access to factual information that might help them change their viewpoints or continue to advocate for the viewpoints they believe in because they have a strong and robust set of data that underpins that assertion. Some might say, like Ariel said earlier, is it solving a problem where there was no problem? I like this. This is a great episode of Liftoff. We just rag on all the new apps that came out and <laughs> failed. Yeah. <laughs> but Ariel, all jokes aside, you see trend lines that many don't look at on a daily basis. And, you know, Tony asked you a little bit about trends. I'm curious to think, you know, we have a lot of people out there who are hearing words like growth, hearing words like growth hacking, 
they think they know what it means, but you know, they're, no one's really sure. And you can't tweet about it, obviously, because it might get flagged. Um, and you put it on Parler, but there's only 3 million users on Parler. And so you can't get any good answers there. How would you define growth and growth hacking? And how does you know, app figures help do that? Oof, where do I even begin? I think it's like what we're saying before about analytics being the sort of umbrella term for a whole different types of questions. Growth is kind of the same for a whole different range of activities, uh, the way I see it. So I, I write a lot about this and I talk a lot about this because I think for many of the app makers that we see, whether they're the indies ranging all the way up to big companies, there isn't this cohesive idea of what is growth. There's this idea of if you build it, they will come. And then it turns into if you're a big company and they didn't come, throw some money on ads and boom, magic. That's not exactly true. So when I when I think about growth, when I think about growth hacking, it's really about how do you get in front of more people? And getting in front of more people could mean tweeting about your app, could mean putting it on Parler. Probably not the bestest of ideas, especially if it has nothing to do with politics or something to do with the opposite side of politics. I saw some tweets on that thing and some parlays on that thing that were not pleasant. They call them parlays? I think they call them parlays, yes. Oh, I forgot parlay. what they call them. The, the plot thickens. Oh, yeah. It's it's hilarious. And every time oh, I, it's, I think of Jack Sparrow and it's, it's a whole thing. Right. <laughs> Whether it's successful or you know, bias or ethical or whether Quibi is going to just continue to be a dumpster fire or not. It is a really interesting time right now to watch what's going on. And I think, frankly, a lot of companies, organizations, developers, the list goes on and on, could really benefit from using something like app figures. So if you are interested in learning more, go to appfigures.com. And I'll also link it in the show notes. Now, Ariel, it's time for the last question. And this is a question that I ask every guest. So it is, what non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? Oh, wow. That is a lovely question. Oh, thank you. Can Besides I your redstone. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some things you can't really describe with emotion. So I'll leave that one alone. Uh, but honestly, over the last year, I've gotten into, I love engineering. And I've always liked engineering, both both physical in the real world and also on the computer. But over the last year, I've been getting a little bit more into woodworking and just like making things. Mm. And that has become such a great learning experience because I can see a lot of those things that I learned. Kind of, You know how when they say you learn some things the hard way? When you cut wood and you cut it in the wrong place, you learn the hard way that you needed to measure before. And sometimes when you measure and you look at the wrong side of the measuring tape, that's a mistake you can't easily undo. You have to go back to the store and buy a new piece of wood and, and uh, measure and cut it again. And so all those tools have been uh, have been so so much fun for me over the last year, just because they are kind of identical to what I do on a daily basis, but in the real world. And so there's lessons to be learned in using them. And it also made me feel like using the wrong tool for the job is very similar to solving the wrong problem mm. in business. And, and it's the same in UX. It's the same in design. It's the same in, in any sort of implementation. So probably that thinking quickly. Dude, I love that because I'm the same way. I got into a lot more like woodwork, a lot more making stuff. 
sort of home renoing. And there's something about if you spend all your time at a computer screen, and a lot of people do, but you know, if you spend all your time at a computer screen and that is your craft, as it were, then to come offline and use your hands in the craft in a different way, it's been really cool. Yeah. It is so crazy that we can practice a craft in front of a little metal box. Like, could you imagine 15 years ago? Yeah. Tony, that whole statement is to- wasn't It'd be like, what? Yeah. yeah. Everyone be like, what? You spent your, your whole day like a, like a, macar- a- macaroni craft? What are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> oh, no, no. He means a CNC machine. I think that's what he means. Right. Oh, man. Love that. So how do you, Ariel, where do you find this kind of stuff in Manhattan? Do you have a makerspace or what do you do? I have a little space in our office. All the way in the ah, back. In the red stone. Kind of reserved. It pays to be the CEO. <laughs> yeah, it's technically one of our, it's like a storage room, but over the weekend it turns into a little bit more. That's pretty sweet, man. Well, it's been our pleasure having you on. This has been a great episode, very fun for us. And yeah. we hope you stay healthy, stay safe, and stay curious. It's been a pleasure. 